in the name of Jesus. I say this with me, Heavenly Father, your word says, if I lack wisdom, I should ask you in faith without wavering and that you would give it liberally without fault finding. I ask now for that wisdom and I believe that I receive it. And I say with my Lord Jesus that it must be about my father's business. Thank you for giving me your insight into my kingdom success. In Jesus' name, I pray expecting. Amen. Now say this with me. I am a believer of the word of God. I am an epistle of the spirit of God. I am a disciple of my man of God. I am a finder of the destiny path of God for my life. All righty. Praise God. We're so glad to be here in the name of Jesus. And so we want to greet those of you that are watching us here on Facebook Live. We're continuing on in our series on dynamics of destiny relationships. We've been talking about specifically the marriage relationship and been getting some new insights and perspectives on that that have been quite powerful. And I believe that um, will be a blessing to you. Uh, in your own personal life to really know that, um, you know, some of the nuances in this relationship, the marital relationships. We're getting kind of close to the end of what we wanted to do here, and then we'll go from the marriage relationship into the parental uh, relationship. So over the next few weeks, you'll see us uh, just kind of close out some closing thoughts um, here probably over the next two weeks, and then we'll go right on into that, into parenting. And we want to show you some of the dynamics of parenting and then being parented and how that is and how that the dynamics of those relationships change as a person matures from a young person to an adult where we go from obedience primarily to honor, and um, but you'll still get some benefit out of relationship if you treat it right. So I want you to stay tuned. I want you to like, share, comment, um, um, and interact with us so that we know that you're out there and that the word is blessing you. And please, please, please help us to uh, uh, help others to experience the difference of destiny by you passing this word along and sharing it to those that you know and love as well. Amen? All right. So um, our series again on the dynamics of destiny relationships, we have uh, four objectives. Um, number one is to illuminate on the basic power of relationships, especially relationships that are developed for the purpose of glorifying God. And my statement is um, marriage done for any other reason. I just don't know how it lasts. I just I don't know. You you need that threefold cord or this thing will get broken. All right. Um, number two is to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships. And then the principles upon which relationships consist and by which they're maintained and enhanced. And our statement is, is when it comes to the marriage relationship, the honeymoon is the worst it's ever supposed to be because it's supposed to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory and from love to love. All right. Um, number three, to differentiate the various types of spiritual, natural, and social relationships and their purpose for being from God's perspective. Our statement is that marriage is only one type of relationship, but it is spiritual, natural, and social. It's all that and the bag of chips, too. And then finally, number four, to motivate you to be more intentional in your roles at every level for relational success. You know, um, you know how do you know how are you grading yourself in terms of your relationships my statement about marriage is we aim for perfection and settle for progress yeah yeah we aim for perfection but we settle for progress in other words we always shoot to live up to heaven's ideal but then we also get satisfied by saying i'm not where i want to be but i'm not where i used to be 
and marriage should be a relationship that if you're in it, you work on it all the days of your life. And if you're not in it, but desire to be in it, then you work on it before you get there. Yeah, what I hate is um, people trying to do with on-the-job training what they should have done in preparation. It's hard to change the tires at 60 miles an hour. Yeah, so some of these things, and particularly the types of things that we talk about today, uh, we really want you to grasp that um, a lot of what we share in terms of a fundamental purpose of men and women need to be understood as an individual so that the relationship can be strong. Um, if you scramble two rotten eggs, you can't get a good omelet out of it. Right? It's, it's only as good as the individual ingredients that went into it. If, the, if, if they were rotten when you scrambled them, the omelet just can't taste good. Okay? And so, um, you know, Bishop Jabir used to say it this way, marriage is not one plus one, it's one times one, and God doesn't multiply fractions. Why do you say it like that? Because one half times one half gets smaller, not bigger. Isn't that right, Charles? Yeah. If I multiply fractions, the number is smaller, not bigger. So marriage is not one plus one. It's one times one because one times one equals one. All right. Um, so we've been, we made a statement that there is a grace of God to be either magnificently married or successfully single. Whatever station God's called you to, you know, one of the things that... Um, that, that uh, we really want to help people to understand is whatever you're called to do, even if it's not for your whole life, it's for a season. You can be successful at that season. Um, and you want to do what God's calling you in the season that you're in right now, preparing for the next season. Okay? I want people to learn to be happy in their own skin. If you're married... You know, there was a time when you were really excited about that, right? So enjoy that. And if you're single, enjoy the freedom that singleness provides. What you hate is, is when married people want to act like they're single and single people want to act like they're married. Okay, everybody's got to learn to live where God put them. Okay, so our scriptures for um, this section, um, our core scriptures that we're talking about is Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 21 through 24 and then verse 33. Now, we've been talking about it, and um, for those that are watching me who haven't been a part of this series, um, you know, don't say, well, he's just another person that's browbeating sisters telling them to submit. I'm not even that guy. Okay, and if you don't believe me, go back and look at some of the other things that I said, because I come for the man way harder than I do, because God came for the man first, and we're going to see some of that first, right, today. Um, but to be complete, we need to understand all of the assignments, and really today, we've talked about submission um, and how the world has viewed it as being second class when the Bible views it as being second rank. It's a military term, okay? It's a military term. The vice president is second rank in the executive office, okay? They're not second rate, R-A-T-E, they're second rank, R-A-N-K, all right? Um, and so that's what we're talking about, but that's the submission aspect. I want to talk to you today about the respect aspect, because one part of this talks about submission, and then another part talks about respect. So let's look at it. Ephesians 5, 21 through 24, and then we'll skip down to verse 
33. And it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now look at verse 33. It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so let's talk about this one for a second. We've spent some time talking about submission and we said submission is not a dirty word. God didn't cuss you out when he um, listed um, an order and the fact that there are people that need to submit. And what we've talked about is that there's the principle of headship and helps and even the head should at some level in another environment be helps. I say that um, you should be suspicious of a man that says, hey, I want to be, I, I want to be your husband, and then there is nobody in his life that he has some relationship of submission to. I think that's, that's what gets me concerned. I even say that for pastors. One of the things that I, I really, um, I really boldly declare as one of my distinctives is I have spiritual fathers. I have people in my life who, if I was to get in trouble, have the right to call me on the carpet. And I say that should give my church comfort because I'm not on here on my, by myself on an island and nobody can't tell me what to do, but I'm telling y'all what to do. I don't think that's the Bible. The only person in the whole universe that always gives tells is God the Father. Everybody else got to take orders, even Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so when we say a wife is to submit, that's what we mean. It's an order, it's a military term, but you can run the world from the second chair because Jesus does. Okay? All right. So um, everyone has a submission, meaning they got to yield to another to provide something that that other needs. So there is this thing of submitting one to another um, in, in out of reverence for God. So um, one of the things that we've talked about is that verse 33 tells us a thing. It says, one key point that we want to understand is that the primary seed that a woman needs is love. Her primary seed is love. If you're going to be married, the primary thing that you want to minister husband, potential husband, to your wife is love. Now, that doesn't mean she likes being disrespected. That's not what I said. Okay, she wants to be respected too. Um, but you feed her love. There are times um, I've seen in counseling, um, I've seen in counseling where um, a woman will threaten to leave a relationship. And then men will say, well, I respect your decision. She ain't looking for respect, bruh. She looking for you to love her enough to pursue. It wasn't a cry for respect. That wasn't what, <laughs> do you see how you can miss it? Do you see why I'm saying what I'm saying? He's thinking, okay, you made this decision. I'm gonna respect that decision. That's like me being your teacher telling you to do the even problems and then you come back with one, three, five, seven, nine, and 11 done. You were doing the odds and I was talking about the evens. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, see that's, now that sounds, no, that's a big deal. Cause sometimes brothers, no, it's not brothers. We tend to think that the other person needs what we need. 
So we want to feed them what we like eating. And so in the male mind, he was like, man, I, okay, I respect your decision. That wasn't even what she was looking for. It was a cry for, I need to feel love and you're not satisfying that need. And then the thing that you did out of respect made the situation worse. Do you understand? Everybody got what I just said? Okay. On the other hand, I've seen women who want to shower love on men then behave in ways that disrespect them and damage their ego. Okay, so, you know, you like sweet nothings, and then you want to give him sweet nothings, and he, to them, they're nothing. They're not even sweet. But you're giving him what you want. You're giving him what you need as if what you need is what he needs. And God made you two different individuals. All right? And so you, you can't shower, somebody, shower a man with love thinking that makes up for being disrespectful. Okay? We, we want to be able to recognize that we have partners and the needs of the partners are different. I'm not going to give you what I need. I'm going to give you what you need. And I'm going to become the person I need to become to give you the thing that you need. Right? So last, last time I was like, listen, um, I have yet to find, and I know sisters do it, and I'm, 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 I'm not even angry about it. I'm really not, okay? Um, but I'm, if you don't ever take the man's name in public, that brothers feel some kind of way about that. I have yet to not, I've yet to, to say, have somebody say, no, nah, it don't mean nothing. No, 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 no. Nope, it means something. Ah, but I had, no, you was large and in charge by yourself, but you just not by yourself. And that's not even saying you weren't, you know, shot calling and big balling when you was on your own. I'm not even saying, you know, it's not even like that. You might have been. But the thing, if we're going to love and submit like Christ loves the church, you better be taking his name when you go to Father. <laughs> you better be praying in the name of Jesus, not in your own name. I'm just saying, God called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Okay? So for me, that's a respect issue. Okay? Now, I have a daughter, and I'm training her to be large and in charge. But then I have to tell her, I know, I know you got some of that quick wick that your daddy got. Now, when you get married, baby girl, you're going to have to tame that tongue. I ain't mad at you. I ain't telling you you don't even need the fight that you have because you got to go deal in the world. It's just that sometimes there are sisters that do that in the world, and then they bring that home. And I'm like, hey, pump the brakes. Pump them brakes when you hit the door. You've been barking orders all day, and then you come in the house barking. That's not going to be a good evening. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can violate the basic need of your husband to feel respected, especially in a world, um, if your husband is, is chocolate like me, in a world that doesn't respect people that look like me. I'm just saying, and I'm not mad at other people. We believe in, you know, that we're a church for all colors and we have people of various colors, right? We, we're not just an African-American congregation. But I'm just saying, if you're dealing and you're in a world where people that look like you are automatically disrespected, at home should be a place where you can sense respect. Okay? Now, when we get to the, when we get to the parenting issue, we're going to talk about the fact that as our young men mature, you can't. Listen, listen. Now, 
when he's four and five, you can talk to him a certain way. Mom, he gets a little older, you're going to have to change your tone. Right? My, my statement is, listen, um, <laughs> you don't want to turn the lion into a pussycat. Because he's going to need to fight for, his, for the world that he's got to face. He, he need every bit of fight that's in him. Right? Now, he needs to have that strength under control so that it's not out of control. Because, you know, if you're out of control, they cage them lions and they're good at caging them. They're good at it. They've built a whole system to cage people that look like you and me. Um, but you need to be clear that I'm, I'm not, I'm not raising a boy. I'm raising a man. And so I got to call to the man that's in him and call it out. It's not that I can't correct issues. It's not that, but if you, <laughs> you got to get out of talking to him like him when he, when he was three, four and five, you just got to do that. You have to, you got to do that, okay? Because then you shut down something in him that needs to be built up for the fight that he has to face when he leaves your house and goes into the world. Say man, if that makes sense to you. Okay. Um, you know, make sure, make sure, like, <laughs> um, if, you know, it's your special day, some special occasion, could be birthday, anniversary, you know, some sweet nothing day, and then your husband goes out and he buys you a frying pan, and you look at him like, are you serious? You know, because in his mind, he likes tools because he's a tool kind of guy, so he bought you the tool, and he wants you to like it because that's what he would like. Okay, don't do that, brothers. Please don't do that. <laughs> I would name names, but uh, I know where the bodies are buried, and I just leave them there, okay? But I'm just trying to give you real practical examples. You follow my logic? Okay, then on the other side, don't just shower him with love and then be disrespectful, dismissive to him. Don't talk to your man like he's a boy. And that doesn't mean that you got to, you know, one of my selling points when I was courting Lady Nedra was, listen, you don't have to dumb down for my ego. I know who I am. Like, you know, I was the man before I met you. And I'm not saying that to be braggadocious. I'm just saying I'm clear on my identity. So I don't need you to lower your light so that my light can shine. On the other hand, when we talking to one another, I know sometimes you got to go in and you got to go in at work, agile, mobile, and hostile. I know you got to do all of that. When we at home, okay, change that tone just a little bit. Dial that down just a little bit. Just, you know, turn the volume down. Just turn the volume down. Okay? And that's... That's the respect issue. Now, this has nothing to do with submission. This doesn't, I'm not even talking about, we're not at the point of saying, you want to go left, and I say, we got to go right. I'm not even there. I'm just saying how we have conversation. Okay? Because I've seen, I, I have seen wives talk to husbands in ways I wouldn't want them to talk to their boys. I'm a pastor. That's my job. And I'm not, I'm looking at the TV, so I'm not calling anybody out in particular, okay? But I'm just saying these are things that we have to work through if we want our relationships to be successful in the way God intended, okay? All right. Um, and because um, in our cultural experience, um, in the, in the African-American community, we have a culture that uh, fosters strong women 
they have to learn how to be strong, but also know how to yield and give place to their man if they want that man to be a man. Okay? Because if you, if you beat him down, when you get him down, you're not going to be happy with the outcome. You're not going to be happy with your own product. Proverbs, it says it this way, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman plucks it down with her own hands. The house you need to live in, you can pull it down, all right? And so you want to be careful um, about that. You want to be careful. One of my responsibilities in my professional life is that I'm charged to mentor young African-American professional males on surviving in corporate America. It's one of the things, and when, and they send them to me like, okay, David, here's your list of, we need you to, yeah, I'm that dude. Yeah, I am. Okay. And um, so I have to teach them how to be assertive without being too aggressive, how to make their point known and not how to, and then when to back off. I have to tell them how to run fast, but still come in second. Like <laughs> I had one young man and he was in a difficult situation. I said, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is how you say it, you know, cause this is not going to turn out for you good if you don't turn this thing around. Because I know enough of the signs that if you tell me certain words, then I know uh, what's going to happen next, you're probably not going to like. And I can just listen to you tell me a story, and then I can figure about, right where, about where your career is. And so uh, I was talking to one young man, and um, he was having some, some difficult challenges with the, a manager, Caucasian male, and uh, I said, say this, say this, say this, and then it got to the point where he was in a one-on-one, -on -one and the guy started sweating and turning colors. I said, okay, now you need to dial it back. Now pump the brakes, okay? You, 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 you moving over to the intimidation point, okay? Because then they, now they're going to start seeing something different in their head they're going to start playing out something different, and I got to tell you how to survive, man. I was like, okay, now you need to back off. He know you're serious now. You don't have to. You don't have to. And so that's what I want. Just to understand, if, if it, in, the, in the area of reverence and submission, there's times when you, do, you should just back off, okay? It's not always like, I got to get my point done right now. Got to get it done right now. It's not always like that. You need to be sensitive to God, right? These are relational issues, but they're really important. Somebody say amen if you got that. Okay. Um, if we don't get those things right, we limit our longevity in certain environments. And that's true in marriage, but that's also true. That's why we are teaching it from a larger framework of headship and helps. Remember, um, just, I'll just reference the scriptures. We talked through Genesis 1, 26 through 29. God saying he'd make man in our image after our likeness and give them dominion, and he showed them the seed. Then in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He'd make a help comparable to him, comparable to him. That's why, that's why we declare definitively that submission doesn't mean second-class citizen because God's statement is the help that I make has to be like you to be like to be good help to you. Okay? And he made the man, caused him to have a deep sleep. Then he brought, that's why I said that, that uh, God, God puts you when you're working, he puts you into the deep sleep and gives you the wife, the woman of your dreams. That's, that's where I get it, because he put man into a deep sleep in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Won't he do it? Won't, yes, he will. Um, 
And so I got eight keys, eight keys um, from Genesis 1 and 2. I think I updated. Yes, I did. Hallelujah. Eight keys. So some of this is reviewed, but the eighth one, the eighth one has a little humor in it, but I think you're going to get the point. Um, number one, the uh, humankind made in the image of God is the spirit within the man and the woman. Okay. The part of you that's made in the image of God is God is a spirit and man is a spirit. Number two, the dominion that was given to man and woman over the dominion that was given was given to man and woman over everything, but other men and women dominion is not domination, right? God made mankind and gave them dominion and everything he listed did not include other people. Okay. That's why, um, it, you know, there is this doctrine of devils where men say, have said historically that I'm going to make a man, a woman submit, or what woman says, I'm going to use, um, lose, use pleasure as a tool to control my spouse. Both of those is domination. And that's what, that's not what God intended. All right. Number three, there is a level of agreement that is required for husband and wife to walk in dominion and blessing. Okay. Right. So this is a really, these points here are very, very important. Cause if you, if you get these wrong, you can't have a marriage that's right. Cause they go back to the very fundamentals of what God created in the beginning. All right. Number four, man was created. Watch this within the family to fill the role of visionary and leader, cultivator and teacher and provider and protector. Now, you don't start these roles when you get married. That's that's doing on the job training when you should have had the preparation. That's changing the tires at 60 miles an hour. Okay, because Adam didn't start these things when God made him to help me. He was doing and fulfilling these roles, and it was his doing of these roles that made the help me necessary. Okay, so when I'm dealing with singles, particularly single men, young men, I'm trying to um, discern where they are in their development, and I want them to have some clear vision. Here's my picture of the future. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it should be clear and it should be something that they're moving towards with some intention. They should be visionary. I see something in the future and I'm gonna do it now. For Joseph, it was the dream he had, right? David, David was anointed to be king. Right. So there is this thing about a young person. I say between the ages of 12 and 17, you need an experience with the Holy Spirit where he begins to stamp on you the purpose for your life. Visionary and teacher. Visionary and leader, cultivator and teacher. Cultivator, he gave, put him in the garden to dress and to keep it. To dress it means to cultivate. Right. Provider and protector. He was supposed to, the keeping is the word guard. All right. So woman was created, number five, within the family to fill the role of enhancer, reflector, and life giver. Enhancer is you make a house, she's supposed to make it a home. Right? Reflector is, you know, that was that sun, moon, and stars. The moon being a reflection of the light of the sun, that's what's supposed to happen in the home. And life giver is that she's supposed to take whatever seed of vision you give her and multiply it and return it. Number six, purpose determines design. You are built for your assignment. Give yourself to it. Now, one of the reasons why, um, you know, I know that I went to a training this weekend at... Um, um, a local church here in town, and it was about millennials. And the speaker said that 
um, one of the challenges in the millennial generation that we have to address and the churches has to address is, you know, when you ask people, are they male, female, or how does she say it? Non-binary gender identification, I think is what they said. That is not one or the other, or I see something different in the middle, or I was made one, but I see myself as the other. And, um, and I hear that. I know people do struggle with all kinds of issues. And listen, you and your struggles welcome at Destiny Generation, okay? Um, but we have clarity on the assignments because God is clear even if you're not. God is very clear. Why? Because when he made you, Jesus said, did not he that made them, made them in the beginning, male and female. He made them. He made them. With the making, he put difference in their design, all the way down to a cellular, a hormonal, a mindset level. All of those things were made to go with what he designed you to do. Okay, and no amount of surgeries and injections and nips here and tucks there is going to create you into something different than what God made you. Now, you can mess up what God made. I'm not saying you can't do something, but, right, just because you sit in a garage does not make you a car. Okay, so purpose determines design. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, y'all. All right, number seven. Um, the fall introduced some elements into the marital relationship that has to be managed to fulfill God's original intent. Okay, some things that happened because of what happened in the fall. Um, now we got to manage stuff that wasn't in God's original plan. Okay. And then the last one deals with the fact that they were naked, but not ashamed. And this one says, husbands and wives should be able to bear their butts to each other, warts and all, without any fear of shame or rejection. Yeah. I thought you would remember that. I just had to say it in a way you would never forget. <laughs> okay. They were naked and not ashamed. Intimacy shuts down, watch it, if I can't expose myself to you without fear of you rejecting me. Okay? That's the main point there. I've got to be able to be everything that I am with you. And that's not just physical. Can your spouse share their most intimate fears and, have, and not have you take advantage of them on a down day? Can they be going through something and you know it and can you, can you fight fair and not use it against them or do you fight dirty? Do you say things in the midst of situations do you say things in the midst of situations that hit below the belt? Okay, you got to watch that. Listen, like, you can't be married long. You know where all the bodies are buried. You know all of the hot buttons. You know the thing that, to, to, that you can really push. You know the thing that you can really push to get them off of you, but you know that you've gone too far. Okay, so what we want to do is be people like, listen, you can make me mad because we two people trying to live together, right? Um, we got all kinds of phys physiological things. We got all kinds of emotional things and spiritual things all happening at the same time in the same space. But if I get to the point where you know, in a moment of intimacy, I share that with you. 
and then you take that as a weapon, I will be less intimate with you the next time around. If I close that door, I'm going to have to wait for that door to open again. Okay? You hear me? That's a very, very important point. Okay, now let's look at um, scriptures that talk about the, we're going to talk about the fall. All right? Um, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. We actually read 18 through 25 last time. Um, I'm going to go back and deal with the, um, the, the nature of man, right? So when I'm, when I'm dealing in singles ministry, um, particularly with young men, I'm trying to cultivate this into them. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I took my, um, my nephew to take your son or daughter to work day. And um, he made such an impression on my boss. He sat down in his office and um, he said, tell me about, what do you call him? I call him Uncle David. Um, tell me about him. My uncle talks, loves to talk about God. My boss <laughs> fell out laughing. He fell out laughing. He was like, yeah, he really does. We get in here and we, you know what? We talk about God too. And um, he said, you're going to learn a bunch of stuff, but always remember that stuff he's telling you about God. And then um, outside of my boss's office, these men can say they've seen like he has glass on his office and they let you write on it. And Christian was the first one to write on it. And he wrote, love God, encircled it. And then he wrote, love more. I was like, go on, young man. I mean, we was, <laughs> it's still there. Love God, right in the middle of all the other stuff the kids wrote. He wrote, love God. I was like, praise the Lord. We had devotion on the way into work. I had him read the, the, um, the handout that we got at the beginning of the year, and he was reading them words, and then, okay, spell that one for me. Okay, that's dominion. Dominion. Yeah, 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 dominion. Okay, let us make man in our image after our likeness. <laughs> okay. So he's reading all of this stuff. He working that thing out, and he get into work. This is just what we've been talking about. I didn't know that was going to happen. And so he going through the day, but I understand it's important for him to see an image, right? Why, why am I always intentional about bringing my nephews and nieces to work with me? Because I want them to have an image. I'm, I'm very intentional about them having an image. And so he went through the day, he was doing those little engineering projects, and he was working them things, man. They, they, everybody was like, I mean, we was walking through the halls. Young lady said, you're just as cute as a button. And I mean, she just, she blurted it out. I'm like, hey. <laughs> but he, he was, he was, he, he was getting everybody's attention. Oh, my goodness. By the end of the day, he said, you know what, Uncle? I want to work here when I get, on, when I get, when I get older. I said, yes. Because I wanted him to have vision. He said, now nah, I know I got to go to college. Yeah. He said, you know, who knows it could happen. Yes. And, and then I said, in Jesus' name, because I'm putting some power on his vision. I'm putting some power on his vision. Okay. Why? Because I'm trying to cultivate in my young men that they have to have vision for their life. Having a vision costs you nothing, but not having a vision will cost you everything. All right? And so we see here in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, before God gave man the woman, he gave him a vision for a life that required help to get it done. Right? Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. To tend, cultivate, and to keep means to guard it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So 
The man was to tend and to keep it or cultivate and protect. He was visionary and teacher because he was given first the assignment before he was given the assistant. Got that? He was given the assignment before he was given the assistant. I'm trying to, listen, I'm cultivating all kinds of capacity in my daughter. And I'm telling her, listen, you want a man whose assignment is so big that he needs all of what you got to help him get it done in Jesus' name. He's a provider and protector because he was already working before there was a woman and was assigned by God with ego to fulfill the protecting role. Okay? You want, don't, don't stamp out. That's why the Bible says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't browbeat them to the point that you break their spirit. They need to retain that. Okay? You have to be careful. Yes, there needs to be discipline. Yes, you need to check some things and shed some stuff done. But, you, but there is a point where you can go too far. All right? Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1. We're going to read all the way down to 19. A lot of verses, but you need to see all of this to get through it. All right? Um, Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. A beast of the field. He wasn't supposed to be in the garden. Okay? He's a beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh-oh, she's exaggerating. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. So she's taking what God said, and somewhere there was a miscommunication between the teacher and the enhancer. So she's enhanced it, but she's enhanced it into something that was beyond God's original intention. Then the serpent said to the woman, you, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And Adam was not some other place in the garden when this conversation and stuff was going on. How do you know? Let's read the next sentence. She also gave to her husband. Where was he? With her. He ain't someplace. He ain't on the backside. He ain't on the back 40 when this conversation is going on. Stop that. Stop it. He, he ain't some other place. Garden's a big place, but he was right there. He gave it to, also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. When she ate, nothing happened. When she ate, nothing happened. But then he ate. Now things begin to change. Why? Because the person who was in charge, the person who was the head, the person who was the visionary, the person who was the leader, the person who was the protector, the person who was the cultivator, the person who was the final authority on earth did something, and when he used his position of authority to do it, it caused changes that we are dealing with thousands of years later to this very day. All right? Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Watch this. Why didn't they know that they were naked before? Because even though it wasn't just that their eyes were opened, man shined from the inside out. So the glory of his spirit came out of him, just like Ezekiel talked about the fact that he saw God and he said, God, he's a fire from the loins up and a fire from the loins down. That's the glory of God that came, came out of his spirit. Jesus 
had that same thing on the Mount of Transfiguration. He shined as a light, but the light wasn't coming from the outside. It was coming from the inside. He just turned the dial down. But when they sinned, the light went out. Yeah, sin will do that to you. They were clothed with the glory of God. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God. I like verse 8 in the King James. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why do you say it like that? Because Jesus is the word that later became flesh. But before he came flesh, he still walked among them as the voice. All right? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They used to move towards that voice. Now, because of sin, they're running away from it. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He didn't say I heard your sound. I heard your voice. But he heard the voice not talking. God's voice used to walk in the garden. He heard a voice walking. Hallelujah. That's what that said. All right. And he said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. See it? See that? He blaming in two directions, ain't he? The woman, her and you are the fault, not me. The woman you gave me. <laughs> you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, when the apostle Paul preached on this, he said... The man wasn't deceived. He knew he was committing treason. Ever read it in, in, in the book of um, Psalms when it says, God, keep me back from presumptuous sins? Right? Some people fall into stuff, and then some people go in eyes wide open, just buck wild. Adam, she said, he deceived. He said, I was deceived. But Adam knew what he was doing. That's why so much changed when he did it. Verse, right? The woman said that this, um, where am I at? Verse 13. Um, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now this last statement... Um, I want to start dealing with, I won't finish it today. I'll finish it next week. Your desire shall be for your husband. There's a lot, there's a lot in that statement. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. All right. Then, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I command you saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. All right, so eight relationship insights from the fall. Do I got? Oh, seven, seven. Thank you. Seven relationship insights from the fall. Okay. Number one, these are, these are questions. How did the snake get into my garden? Okay. I gotta be, I gotta be careful because the devil was always looking for entry points. All right. Um, 
Ever heard that statement, don't let the devil ride because sooner or later you're going to want to drive? Right? How do you know the devil is lying? His lips are moving. He's a liar from the beginning. He's a liar and the father of lies. Lies didn't exist until he invented them. He was a murderer, the scripture says, from the beginning. Right? He is thief, kleptos. So all of these things are are encapsulated in his personality. So one of the things, husbands, that God is holding you responsible for as the head of your home or single women is not just because all of us get clothed with the armor of God to resist the devil. So I'm not giving sisters a pass, but if you're going to be the head, be the head. And part of that is taking your spiritual authority, taking the authority you have in the name of Jesus and establishing some boundaries and certain things are not allowed in here. I've counseled at home and I've had to tell people, listen, listen, we don't do that here. Check that one at the door. Now y'all go home and y'all roll your home like that, but in here, there's a certain way we talk to one another. I ain't mad at you. I just, I just want to make sure in my house there, I don't let a snake in. Because if I let that snake in, all of a sudden we be barking at each other. <laughs> okay? So we have to watch. Be watchful. Scripture says it this way, neither give place to the devil. So before anything else, there was a, a beast of the field that got in the garden. He wasn't supposed to be this close. You know, I stay on the edge, I stay on the edge of a forest, my house. One day I saw this perfectly wrapped, what I thought was a string, and when I get close to it, it slithered off and went into the... <laughs> I was thinking, man, that's a, that's a little black rope, and I'm thinking, what is that? I got close to it, and it slithered off and went on off into the, into the grass. It was gone. Now... I let it go, but if it was in the house, we would have had to do something different. Lady Nedra, <laughs> you heard that. Lady Nedra was like, yeah, bro, you would have had to do something. <laughs> okay, so we have to be careful spiritually in the same way. Don't let stuff in. And listen, we all have to be taught spiritual warfare how, why do we let thoughts stay in our minds too long? She got in trouble because she was having a conversation that didn't even need to be had. He was too close inside, and then you start listening to him while he's talking. And Adam, who knew that his assignment was to guard the garden, was standing there twiddling his thumbs. All right, that's number one. Number two, why didn't the man arise with, the, with that ego of his and protect the presence of God in his garden? These are questions. I'm not even saying I got answers for all of this, but I'm saying these are things. But before we look back at Adam, let's make sure we look at our house now. Because the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, lives on the inside of you. So I want you looking at your situation and asking questions. All right? Number three, why did he blame the help instead of being the head? Now, I've been reading the scriptures about love and respect from the book of Ephesians, right? We've been talking about husbands love your wives. There's a parallel set of scriptures in the book of Colossians but they read slightly different. In Colossians, it says, husbands love your wives and don't be bitter against them. You're not bitter against your wife unless you blame her. And Adam blamed Eve. Can you see when he's out there going and getting his hands, <laughs> he didn't have gloves yet, getting his hands 
cut with those thorns and thistles, saying, bless God, you did this. Okay, bro, bro, you got to do your assignment first before you, you know what I'm saying? God's coming to you first. That's why, Pastor David, I've had men say, you, you too hard on men when you counsel. No, I'm not. He coming to you first. I'm going to be hard on you because he hard on you. I'm not hard on you. I'm not being harsh. I want to make sure you understand the responsibility because when God's coming, he ain't coming to her first. I don't want to know if it's like that. You shouldn't have signed up to be the head. That's the job description. Okay. Part B of number three says, he let another vision seed impregnate his wife instead of the one God gave him. And by definition, two visions in one house is division. So now she's got a picture that she shall not die. She got a picture of this thing can make her like God. Wait, hold it, hold it. He just sold ice water to an Eskimo. You are already made in the image of God. You know, that's what, that's what Madison Avenue does. They try to make you look, they might try to make you think you ugly so that their product can make you look pretty. If you wear this, you'll be if you, look, if you take this makeup, these clothes, this thing will fix everything else. And you do this, and you'll be everything you want to be. Not realizing that you was all of that before they stuff. You make they stuff look good. They don't make you look good. But here, he had to convince her that she was not like God so that he could tell her that taking this thing would make her like God. And instead of promoting her, it demoted her. Okay. All right. So it's clear that there is a spiritual protection role that God holds men accountable in the context of home and, men, and marriage. Men were created to be watchmen warriors. If not, the blood is on our hands. Okay. Number four. God addresses both the snake and Satan who possessed it. Because there's two, there's two things happening here. It's clear that the snake must have been willing or God wouldn't have judged it. God judged the snake because that serpent was complicit. Must have been. You don't judge if they didn't do nothing wrong. Okay, but then he slips past the snake and begins to say that there's a seed that's going to bruise the head, talking about Jesus bruising the head of Satan. All right. Um, number five, the snake would crawl and Satan would get his head bruised by the seed who is Jesus. Number six, man would have the original dominion mandate over the planet turned upside down and now the planet would resist his advancement thorns and thistles it would bring forth now the thing that's supposed to be working for you would start working against you that's why jesus took on a crown of thorns he was taking the curse that came out of adam into himself, right? The curse that's on all humanity came from Adam's sin. And Jesus took that curse into himself and became a curse for us. And then finally, number seven, woman would experience pain and reproduction of life. And remember, that's life in all of its forms. Yeah, childbearing, that's one part of it. But listen, listen, 
every time you're trying to bring forth your idea, you're going to have a pain that wasn't originally intended. Just like man has thorns and thistles that wasn't originally what God intended. And watch this. She would experience difficulty in her life partnership with man. Her desire would be to him and he would rule over her. So there is, he's saying, we're going to have marital issues. So when we talked before that. They, when we talked before that there were things that would happen. That would produce that that happened in the fall. Now we have to deal. Hallelujah. There are things that happen in the fall that we've got to manage if we're going to live out God's original intent. Now, our statement is Christ has redeemed all of us from the curse. But the curse is still present and we all have to do some management to walk in the thing that God has for us to deal with. All right. So that's as far as we're going to get today. We'll pick it up from there next week. Somebody say amen.